What up, what up, what up? Peace. This is the Fire This Time podcast. Episode 70. My name is Sonny Teray. And Nakita G. And we are so happy once again to have y'all with us. Now, uh, episode 70, definitely a little milestone, you know what I'm saying? And uh, today's topic, you know, I, you know what, before we get into that, you know, I, 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 sometimes I move too fast, you know what I'm saying? But we're going to keep it traditional, you know what I'm saying? Going to welcome the people righteously, and then we're going to get started. You actually cool, Aki. I still had cookie in my mouth, but still. <laughs> but people, thank you for coming to join us again. You know what I'm saying? It's as as usual, we back to give you that heat. We back to give you that fire. As always, like, subscribe, sub- subscribe, uh, leave a comment, and all those other type things. You know what I'm saying? You can even drop a, a episode suggested in there. We'll definitely, you know what I'm saying, try to get on that and get back at you mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Um. It's chilly now. Winter time is here. Stay warm, and we'll try to help you do that. So what are we going to talk about today, Aki? Today, we are going to talk about a... Re- uh, this is a requested topic. Also, one that we might have mentioned slightly before uh, on various segments. But we got a specific request from, uh, you know, somebody uh, maybe a week or two ago. And they asked that uh, we talk about uh, Hebrew Israelites in the heap, the you know, uh, in this movement, in that movement, you know, contemporarily and throughout history. Yeah. So, uh, you know, who are uh, you know who you are if you requested it, and uh, you know, so that's what we on today. So I guess to preface it, you know, we just had Thanksgiving. And uh, I was blessed enough to, you know, travel back to Evansville, my hometown, spend some time with the family and whatnot. And, uh, you know, in the midst of such, had a chance to have a lot of convos with my father, my sister, my grandparents, uh, my, uh, yeah, uncle. I, I, uh, Whole you know, clan was there, huh? Yeah, exactly. And we we, th- we talked about things like the Kyrie and Kanye situation, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And was able to see their opinion, and of course, whether a lot of what wasn't even discussed between my family, we didn't really discuss as far as like whether what he believed was true or not. Yeah, it was more so look at how they trying to demonize this person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and treat him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, but I, I was able to have a conversation with my homie uh, later that weekend uh, who identifies uh, who is a a Hebrew Israelite Ah. and part of that movement. And I was able to dig in deeper, you know what I'm saying, Uh, you know, past our... Because we had, me and uh, my homie, we had agreement, you know what I'm saying, on Mm -hmm. the fact that Kyrie did not deserve to be targeted, like that pushed out the league for his uh, identity journey, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. However, he identifies himself. You know, yeah. it's not anti. As we already established on the podcast, it's not yeah. anti-Semitic. Yeah. To uh, you know, explore your identity and, and, mm-hmm. and do it how he did it at yeah. all. Uh, especially if you have more of a claim to such heritage than the European Jews who got who got so riled up by what you said. Yeah. But uh, you know, but you know. Beyond that, I mean, like I said, my homie is a Hebrew Israelite. So beyond that, you know, we had a conversation about that movement. You know what I'm saying? I learned a lot from him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Background information. Some I got from you in the past, but, you know, I was able to ask him and, you know, we had an extended conversation, you know what I'm saying, where he's kind of laying out some of the history. And then we was able to, you know, talk a little bit more about our disagreements, where they popped up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I guess my last, the last little piece I want to preface our conversation with you know on the topic of Hebrew Israelites is the fact that I think the conversations about who we are mm-hmm. as a people, you know yeah. what I'm saying. Of course, we discussed on the podcast and, and previously how we like using the term "new Africans" mm-hmm. to describe you know those people affected by slavery in the so-called new world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Who don't have any national uh, ties? You know what I'm saying? Beyond the, the false ones that we we had with white America. Yeah. And New Africa pushes us forward to the establishment of our own nation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Think about the Republic of New Africa. This mm-hmm. is the name of a nation. Yeah. That we're trying to build, that mm-hmm. we're that we're in the process of building. Yeah. But uh so I, 
these, these are conversations we're involved in. I think they're, mo they're the most important conversations. Yeah. I think that uh, this conversation is more important than the voting conversation. Yeah. Or whether or not we should support the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. The conversations about who we are are more important. Yeah. Uh, and this is why you see so many people having a conversation. This is why you see it such, you know, it, how it's percolating in the black community the way it is right now. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, I, so, definitely want to start the conversation off with, you know, that show of solidarity and that I feel more brotherhood, sisterhood, yeah. you know what I'm saying, and, and kinship and solidarity with Hebrew Israelites, the typical, the typical black Hebrew Israelite. Mm -hmm. I feel more solidarity with them on things related to our, our nation, our national liberation, yeah. and our, our, our uniqueness. You know what I'm saying? Our autonomy. Yeah. And our separation from this wicked system. I yes. find more solidarity with black Hebrew Israelites than the typical black liberal, black Democrat, black Republican, black yeah. person who is tied, you know what I'm saying, um, to this system. I mean, at the end of the day, they still about nationhood. Exactly. You know. But, um, you know, and really the conversation with my homie, it came down to something about, you know, uh, about religious uniformity. You know, where they believe that we all need to come under this doctrine, this godly doctrine, due to be in God's graces. You know, and yeah. uh, I, while I do support the idea yeah. that we need a moral code principles, you know, mm -hmm. that we're united around that currently does not exist and is being stripped from. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Of course, different things exist, but as far as one that is held as part of our national culture yeah. in a cohesive and very active way, yeah. now mm -hmm. we've lost, that's that's being stripped from us slowly. Yeah. D despite what individual families and individuals are doing, which yeah. is also important. Yeah. But we have to also uh, recognize the harm that's been done. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, like I said, Aki, these conversations are the most important and, um, Definitely. So, uh, uh, Aki, I know you have a lot of knowledge mm -hmm. on uh, the Hebrew, he, he, black Hebrew Israelite history. You know what I'm saying? So, I guess for the people listening, you know, uh, where does your expertise, uh, or where does your knowledge of this come from? What is your previous involvement mm -hmm. uh, with Hebrew Israelites and, and that community and that uh, ideology? Well, um, it sort of come from um, when I was um, starting off on my journey. Um, I started off with the Moore Science Temple. And um, from the Moore Science Temple, you get to learning about Nation of Islam doctrine. So I bounced over there with the nation and started learning from those brothers. I learned under the, um, the branch of the uh, Elijah Muhammad's brother, the Supreme Minister, his branch. And then from there, you learn about the Hebrew Israelites. And, of course, I went over there to their camp to learn from them. Um, these were old-school Hebrew Israelites. The elders came out of South Carolina. They were originally out of South Carolina, but they moved up to New York and came back home. And um, they came under the Pacific teachings of the Ethiopian Hebrew Israelites. And um, this is how I started learning from them. Um, I started learning the history. I started learning some of the rituals and things of that such nature. Not gonna lie, I was young, you know what I'm saying? So I was I was about getting knowledge. So I got what I needed to get. Now, this was, I was about 17 when I ran across them. I dealt with them for about a year. Now I got my paperwork as um, far as um, history of how they started. And one thing I found out after I went through all these groups, the Nation, the Moors, Hebrew Israelites, all of them came from the Garvey movement. All of the founders were in the Garvey movement. All of the founders were involved in this um, pan-African nationalist type thing early. So, Aki, I, I want to kind of cover as much as we can as, mm -hmm. you know, you have more expertise on it than me. Yeah. But us, you know what I'm saying, so I want to offer people that don't know much. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Something, you know, that they can really take hold of. So let's go. I, I want to talk about 
the origins of the Hebrew, the Black Hebrew Israelite movement in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But before that, I I, I do want to give some people uh, uh, an introduction to the claims or the ideology of Hebrew, uh, Black Hebrew Israelites. Mm -hmm. So, can you kind of talk to the people about how, what exactly are they tracing from the biblical history? You know what I'm saying? As far as like the uh, the, the the central claim, of course, is that we are God's chosen people. We are descendants of the tribe, the twelve tribes of Israel. Yes. So, talk to people more about that and uh, where that comes from and what it means. Well, um, yeah, that's the basic premise that we're God's chosen people. All right. So, and and that comes from. I mean, let's start even with the Noah line. You know. Um. Well. That that claim comes more from the Jacob line, which is it does come out of the Noah line. Um, they generally come down to a breakdown of Noah's sons. Um, you get to a point where you talk about uh, Genesis chapter six. Um, and that chapter is a very heavy chapter, but it talks about like the sons of God coming down, sleeping with the daughters of men. Um, and this is this is the time period that led up to Noah, right? We hear about the flood. Flood happens. He survives the flood with his three sons. He has three sons, one named Japheth, one named Shem, one named Ham, right? And it's said, based in the um, Hebrew culture, Ham is the black line, Shem is the Middle Eastern line, and then Japheth is like the northern Turkish northern line, right? Um... And, you know, it's been many conversations about that through, ye through the years. I mean, once you start studying this stuff, you're going to be reading stuff from the 1300s and, and the 1200s and the 700s on this stuff. You got to start, you know what I'm saying? You over there in Europe somewhere and you over there in, you know what I'm saying, the Middle East somewhere trying to read these stories and things. Um, they trace that from that. Now, they claim that African people are Hamites. But as if they're claiming to be Hebrew Israelites, they claim they don't come from the line of him. They saying they're Shemites. And this is how they put themselves in the claim to say that God's chosen people because then they trace their lineage from Shem all the way down of Shem's lineage to Abraham. Abraham has two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, birthright. One is considered to be the Arab. The other is considered to be the Hebrew or the Israelite, Proto. This is Proto. They got Isaac, you got Ishmael, Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. He's renamed Israel, and then from Israel you get 12 children out of Jacob, and this is the 12 tribes of Israel. So they, tra they try to trace themselves through that lineage, um, which is sort of weird for me. It was always sort of weird for me. Um, me coming out of that nation of Islam teaching, coming out of that Moorish teaching, I was already supplemented with a little knowledge. So I knew, based in my belief at that time in the Bible, if black man is the original man, Adam was black. Adam's children was black. Noah was black. That means whether it was Shem, Japheth, and Ham, they were black. Black man is the father and founder of civilization. We founded all the world's civilizations, the earliest parts of civilizations around the world. So that means Japheth and all of them had to be black people who went to these areas. If, because I believed in that at that time. Um, but that's the biblical narrative to, that's more religious for them. Um, the first Hebrew Israelites didn't believe that they were literally the Hebrew Israelites. Now, when you you talking about back in the biblical days or the early U.S. Early U.S. days. Okay. Um, the early U.S. days. It sort of comes out of the Church of the Living God too. Um, Rabbi Matthews was a minister in the Church of the Living God. Where? Um, Harlem. Gotcha. Now he and 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 um, Barbados. He had roots in the islands too. Gotcha. Um, and a lot of these guys had roots in the islands. You know. Um, because that was sort of a thing, too, that was going on down there. That's sort of how you get Rastafarianism. It comes sort of at that time period. There's a lot of stuff going on, the same thing going on in different places. And this is the early 1900s, 1930s, times like that. Mm -hmm. So the first generation or two, you know what I'm saying, 
born free yeah. of slavery. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had roots into that. Um, now, I came out of the Ethiopian Hebrew Israelites. That's who I went to study with. Ethiopian Hebrew Israelites come out of Rabbi Ford. Um, Rabbi Ford was in the Garvey movement. He was actually the choir director for the uh, Garvey movement. He wrote the national anthem for the Garvey movement. And he was one of the key figures in Harlem at the time that was teaching this. Another brother that came and taught or came to study with him and eventually was taught by him was a brother by the name of Rabbi Matthews or uh, Wentworth Matthews, as they call him. When Rabbi Matthews met Rabbi Ford, Rabbi Ford, by this time, Haile Selassie had became emperor. He was already the emperor of Ethiopia, things of that such nature. That's why that whole Rastafarian connection comes in there, too. And Rabbi Ford had made connections with the Ethiopian Jews, or the Falashian Jews, as they called them. He had actually went over there, took trips over there. He met these people. He came back to the United States. He started planning an exodus there. Upon his exodus, he handed over the reins of the Hebrew community to Rabbi Matthews. And you can go right to the Schomburg Museum and find this letter. And in the letter, he names him an Ethiopian Hebrew high priest. They had a copy of the letter. I've even seen the letter presented later on in the Schomburg Museum. There's a lot of documents in that Schomburg Museum. Shout out to him. Um, But he ordained him as this. 1969, Rabbi Matthews officially establishes the Hebrew Israelites. He is the man who coined the term here in North America. All the other guys before that, Chalmers, Chanders, all the other guys that we look to as they look to as pioneers, those guys never said Hebrew Israelite. It was only Rabbi Matthews who came and said we are Ethiopian Hebrew Israelites, and he did that in 1969. So let's just retouch on on what you said at the beginning of that when you said that uh, they didn't even believe that they were Hebrew Israelites. So are you talking about those outside of Matthews? Or are you talking about even Matthews having more of a, uh, what would you say earlier, like a philosophical uh, interpretation? Yeah. He didn't, no, they didn't believe that they were the actual Hebrew Israelites. Mm. You can be a Hebrew, or you can, as they say, Jewish, but you can be a Hebrew through conversion. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And so when you look at Matthew's moves after he established the Hebrew Israelites, he went amongst white Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, he connected more with Sephardic Jews and because um, the connection with Rabbi Ford, he had passed by that time, but the community of people that he had had over there was still over there. They built a school over there. School's still there. Um, they literally, you know what I'm saying, they were, they were like, they operated like converts. Like, if you go to a Jewish synagogue, you can find people in there that you know are not Jewish. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're in there. Mm-hmm. They're making Shabbat prayer. They're doing all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So he sort of went that route. Um, that didn't come into actually, to me personally, recent times. This, this uh, literal interpretation. This literal interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um the fact that he called, he started the organization and called them Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. The the whole concept of that was rooted in the whole Falashian Hebrew. It was rooted, that's, this is how they traced their lineage. Mm-hmm. Like the official title was the Ethiopian Hebrew Israelite nation in the West. Mm-hmm. So when he got his, when the, 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 the story is... When Rabbi Ford was appointed a a priest, he established a priesthood here in North America for people who wanted to practice in the Ethiopian brand. It was already a connection between African Americans in Ethiopia. We have plenty of incidents in history when Mussolini invaded Ethiopia, you know, black writers are writing articles talking about sending troops to Ethiopia. You know what I'm saying? This has already been a type of co- um, a coalition type thing that was going on in those times of colonialism. So it's like um, 
you know, you go further from Rabbi Matthews. Rabbi Matthews ended up establishing a school, a rabbinical school called the Commandment Keepers. There were certain people who came out of the Commandment Keepers. One of the people who came out of the Commandment Keepers was a brother by the name of Abbi Vivens or Rabbi Vivens. Abba Vivens. Abba, Abba Vivens. Abba Vivens came out of that. Abba Vivens was the first person to bring messianic teachings into it. So before that, the Hebrew Israelites practiced like Jews, like, like Jewish people. They only believed in the five holy books, and then they had the supplementary books. The Ethiopian branch, we use the same canon that the Ethiopian Jews use. So not only do we use the first five books in the Bible, but then we also have books like the Jubilees, books of Enoch, books of, you know what I'm saying? We still got those supplementary books, books of uh, Kibra Nagas, um, Kibra Nagust. It's various different texts that they were using to frame their tradition. You know, they kept it sort of tribal. It was exclusive to them. And that was sort of what the early brothers here was working with once they first organized under that Ethiopian Hebrew. But it seems like he wanted more acceptance amongst the wider Hebrew Israelite community. So he started going with a lot of other stuff they went with. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, I, I'm all for, you know what I'm saying, black people seeing themselves as chosen people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But the elders... On Rabbi Matthew's death certificate, you know where it lists he said he was born from? Where? Lagos, Nigeria. Hmm. <laughs> and y'all and y'all talk anti-African now. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I got a lot of respect that they do gather brothers together. Mm-hmm. I mean, this showing of them showing up for Kyrie was awesome. I I I mean, that got me thinking on some Malcolm X shit right there, you know. Um but you don't have to deny who you are in that. You know? So yeah, I think that brings us to the question of, you know, what are the ramifications, the cultural and political ramifications mm-hmm. of the literal interpretation that contemporary Hebrew Israelites uh, seem to be making? You know what I'm saying? And it goes all the way back to tracing that line out of Noah yeah. through Sheba, which leads to the trail uh, tribes of Israel yeah. or through Ham yeah. and uh, th- what comes from Ham under this doctrine mm. are Africans. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. there's a literal division yeah. in, you know, where we're identifying our origins. Yeah. Right? Mm. So this is where you see a lot of Hebrew Israelites that are resistant, hesitant, or just outright reject uh, this origin, uh, this African origin of, of yeah. new African, or, or, or I should say of black Americans, yeah. right? Uh, th- just to make the distinctions I, I, I'm, I, I'm stating clear. Yeah. I use, you know, black for black Americans. Mm. So, uh, which, you know, of course introduces a lot of problems, you know, yeah. now we watched, uh, brother Rob Bourne's, uh, Decapitation, <laughs> intellectual decapitation. Yeah, he's a decapitator of a of a, a Hebrew Israelite brother. You know what I'm saying? Which he correctly stated. You know what I'm saying? There's so many vantage points in and the his in our history on this continent. Yeah. From which to view the culture and practices of the people that uh, were enslaved and came over here from the West African coast. Yes. Too uh, many of them. Too too many of them. Mm-hmm. One that Rob Warren mentioned was the Mar- Maroon communities. Yep, Jamaica, um, the, Maroon, the Maroon communities in um, Central America. You also have the, the, the traditions in the Gullah Geechee here in North America. You have the traditions, or you have the traditions of the, um, the, the Creole people in Louisiana that got a lot of Haitian voodoo in it. Mm-hmm. We, we, it's we got too much documentation of our people calling out to the name of our gods. For sure. For um, sure. Um, being documented, saying where they're from. And it's like a mad denial, you know what I'm saying, of that. That's what really frustrates me, you know. Um, I don't mind if that's what you believe. Like, if you be- if you choose to believe in a, an, in a Hebrewic way, I don't really mind that. But when you start to deny your, you know what I'm saying, you know, your your blood, you know, um, you know, it's like creating fantasy history. 
Yeah. Key. I think the most, from a spiritual sense, mm-hmm. I think the most effective way to read the Bible as black Americans, right, is to read it as if we are God's chosen people. No, hey, I, like and, this. And I don't think any religion that doesn't offer us the, po- the, the possibility, the opportunity to be the chosen people is a religious doctrine we should oppose and reject. I mean, gotta remember too, see, he was a, uh, Rabbi Ford was a student of Garvey. Garvey got a concept called the African image of God. The African image of God was pretty much simple, that if you're not serving a God that look like you, you know what I'm saying? That's acting directly on your behalf. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then uh, you serving the wrong guy. And so the Hebrews still come in that tone in that vein. Um, what I learned branching through those three groups is that they use a lot of the same scripture. They use a lot of the same knowledge. And so um, the nation of Islam teaches a lot of the same stuff. Um, they've been saying we're the chosen people, children of Israel, the true chosen of Israel. But they've always went from a standpoint that the Bible was prophetically speaking of us. So these prophecies about what we would do and how we would act, these were prophecies that were literally, they, they, these were considered prophecies about us. We weren't necessarily considered them people. Mm. Even though, even in their system, they believe all them people was black. They never put the claim that we, that's where we come from. They acknowledge that we were from the West Coast of Africa, got snatched from the West Coast of Africa, brought here to North America, and enslaved. The Moors, even though they claim we come from Morocco, they don't deny the fact that they from Africa. And they'll claim that they got snatched out of the empires of the Malian people and various different things and brought over here to North America. You know what I'm saying? It, when you have a, and the Hebrews even have that ideology. But like Rob Bourne showed, you can't really prove none of that, you know? And so it plays this little identity game. They got into that identity game really from the arguments that the Moors were having with people. The Moors, of course, they teach that we are Moorish Americans. And they were starting to play into identity games. They will tell you openly, we're not Negro color, Ethiopian, or black. We are Moorish Americans. Do you know what I'm saying? And they will come in more from a legal standpoint. It wasn't necessarily a historical. They knew we came from West Africa, but they were talking about legally how there's certain documentation of people being documented as Moors and things that had such natives and treaties and things that had such, you know. So we were having arguments like that in the late 90s, early 2000s. And the Hebrews came in on some of that. Not only did that happen, we had another argument that took place with the indigenous side. You know what I'm saying? The brothers who were saying that we not from Africa, we actually natives and we from right here in North America. And we had the same issue with those claims. You know, whereas we're still showing you all the evidence that our people, what they were saying, the guys they were serving, how they organized and everything. But that argument that we were having with them wasn't a, a, a bad, that wasn't an argument really antagonized by the, the, the Pan-African brothers. And sisters, because we've always acknowledged that there was some type of native blood in us. You know, we know this. Um, um, it was more of the wholesale claim. Things like the slave trade never existed. Mm-hmm. That people were saying that triggered the Pan-Africanists to get inside these arguments. So the same thing goes. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm all about that. We we prophetically them people. I will even admit that some of the stuff add up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I would even admit that. But, you know what I'm saying, I don't want to rely on anything that was given to me by the master. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I you know, even in, even in a lot of the, you know, South Carolina hoodoo that I mess with, we still use biblical scriptures in ritual. Mm-hmm. So it's something there. But oh, oh, oh. We have generation after generation of African-American people who have invested vast amounts of spiritual, even political, social energy yeah. into it. So that makes it a document laden yeah. with significance yes. because of what we've already done to it. We, I, you know what I'm saying? We don't have to go to the divine. You know what I'm saying? We can go to what we've done with it. I mean, real talk. The Bible has been used as a tool of liberation in certain times for black people. Mm. 
um, Nat Turner being able to read the Bible with his own eyes and process what's in it led to a lot of those rebellions. Black people have have used the Bible to inspire them for various different things. Um, even whether I may disagree with some things in the civil rights movement, but it was very pivotal. Some of those biblical teachings that these men were coming up with led them to that, even led them to say, we need to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I think whatever happens to our people, based on where we come from, the Bible is going to play an important part in the inspiration and spiritual sustenance yeah. of our people. Yeah. To deny that, would go off into an individualist, you know, place that, you know, some agnostics or atheists that reject mm-hmm. religion's effect on us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, go, but that's not a place that any type of significant mm. moving or shaping of our community's resistance is going to come from. I mean, good example, I keep, right? You've been to Ghana, and I practice a kind type of religion, a cone. But if you know anything, if, you know, most Ghanaians you're going to meet are Christian. Mm-hmm. Even the kind, Christian. Do they deny that they're a condom? Nope. They don't deny it. They will, and, and granted, everything is synchronized in the, on the continent. Uh, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, same way you'll go to church on Sunday, you'll go see the hoodoo man on Friday. It's just, you know what I'm saying, what it is. Mm. But they are, they are, they, they, and don't get me wrong, I would probably even say I would love for them to get a hold of a Hebrew Israelite doctrine. Mm. <laughs> hey, this is what I told my, uh, I keep, uh, my, my friend back in Evansville. I said 99.9% of the time when I see a Hebrew Israelite debating somebody else, yeah. I'm in agreement with the Hebrew Israelite. Yeah. As far as when they're talking about uh, uh, things like oppression or, yeah. you know, the wickedness of the system yeah. or the lack of moral principles. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm in agreement with a lot of yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but, yeah, I keep what it comes to is, uh, you know, the ramifications of, you know, denying parts of our history based on a faulty type of reasoning. Yeah. And, and the ramifications of that. I mean, we're already right now having conversations about what about what what is left of us that's African, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because even I would admit that a lot of the remnants of African culture mm-hmm. that we had in the 1920s is not here anymore. Um, Look, I... I agree with Hebrew Israelites' push to make us united. And yeah. the fact that we need to be united and be, you know what I'm saying, on code. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But we have to resist, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I see, you know, from some of, you know, these religious sects, and I've seen it within Hebrew Israelites, the idea mm. that we just have to get on, you know, we just gotta uh, follow the law. Follow God's law. Uh, yeah. And then we'll be let out of this. Yeah, that yeah, that shit. That, that's you know what, what didn't that's and, what didn't work for me. Exactly. And the idea that, you know, we're not African, so what's the need for pan-Africanism? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If we don't have that link. Yeah. Or we deny that link. Yeah. I think pan-Africanism, despite its faults, has already produced so many positive things for our people politically. Mm-hmm. And even economically. Yeah. And it has, of course, a lot of places to go. Yeah. But we're in a better place now today because of Pan-Africanism. Mm-hmm. That's the facts. I mean, Pan-Africanism was which which led... Pan-Africanism is what led to black people even being able to see themselves as a part of the Hebrew culture in the Bible. We it, There's an yeah. actual history and tradition that we can look at, yeah. you know what I'm saying, of what Pan-Africanism has brought benefits that it has brought to yeah. our movement, to our liberation, to our yeah. resistance. You know what I'm saying? So that can't be discounted. And it's crazy how, I mean, you're, you're seeing that it's not just Hebrew Israelites that are, you know, involved in this denial mm-hmm. of, uh, I guess, the, of, of Pan-Africanism, rejection yeah. of Pan-Africanism. You see it from certain ADOS, FBA types as well. And, uh, 
that's something, you know, that's concerning. I mean, it'd be like, I laugh at it when it when it come out the Hebrew's mouth. Because you, like, I come through the Pan-Africanism that came out of Garvey. Your origins go back to that. Your origins go back to a time when Pan-Africanism was being born and flourished. You, your founders were in the largest Pan-African organization on the planet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, who do you think you got your blueprint and your model from? You know, it's like a denial. Um, it's gotten extreme. Because in these arguments, like, I don't know if you privy to something. I've been privy. I always keep attuned ear to this stuff because I came out of it. Mm -hmm. And to the extent of things like Harriet Tubman was a lie. She didn't exist. That's what some people say. Yeah. The slave trade didn't happen. Like, nigga, I've seen the manifesto that my ancestors came off of. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, that was fabricated. And, and you have the oratory history as well. Yeah. So you have a written record in the oratory history. All there. But, but you, but Aki, that's just a grand conspiracy that you've been fooled by. Bro, it go deeper. When black people first started to write on their own. <laughs> you right. When we first, like, like when the first time Africans in America got free, whether they was already free or got to. Um, um, you know, uh, free, I mean, slaves, uh, free slaves, not free slave states, but slave free states. And they started writing about themselves or other people started writing about ourselves, writing about us. They talked about how we were African. They talked about how we had African celebrations in New York. We have a con symbols carved in on, on literal coffins in New York from the early, like, 1700s. We know where we come from. Our people wrote about where we come from. So it's like, I just, you know, when and they have to deny that. They'll be like, well, now nah, them people was lying. I'm, and so then we jump, to, we jump to the next, you know, I have to always go, well, show me where your people are saying this at. Show me where you mean to tell me you saying your people was Hebrew Israelites the whole time, right? And they knew they was Hebrew Israelites. And so when we started writing or when the first time the people came around and conducted the census, none of them stepped up and said, nah, I'm not, I'm not black. I'm not Negro. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew Israelite. I would say, you know, for further reading on this, you know, uh, because I, I think one of the questions out there, you know what I'm saying, that Hebrew Israelites do not do a good job of answering is how were African people from multiple, many different ethnicities, how did they become what we see today? Mm. That was a process that various groups are mm. trying to describe or, or, or put a stake into, right? Yeah. You know, I, I think we can go back to Sterling Stuckey's slave culture for, mm -hmm. I think, the most foundational or straightforward argument or, 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 or depiction of how that occurred. Mm -hmm. So it, the book is called Slave Culture, Nationalist Theory and the Foundations of Black America. Mm -hmm. And it answers this basic question, how were blacks in American slavery formed out of a multiplicity of African ethnic peoples into a single people? Mm -hmm. You know, and... Um, there's other works like uh, Michael Gomez's uh, book, uh, and the name is slipping my mind right now. But I mean, he he should, he he follows the same type of uh, uh, part of history. He looks at the same part of history. How? Uh, oh, his book is called Exchanging Our Country Marks. Yeah. So how it, it talks about African people from multiple ethnicities, uh, uh, different ethnic groups on the African continent, how they shared. Uh, different parts of their culture with each other and the yeah. slave communities that formed here in America yeah. and how that cultural exchange happened. Yeah. So it looks at things like the ring shouts that we would do. Mm -hmm. And it looks at their origins in West African communities. Yeah, And, th and those origins, you know what I'm saying, have to do with uh, a culture that was in West Africa long before uh, the date of, of 70 A.D. 
You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which Hebrew Israelites pinpoint as when uh, Hebrews were pushed out through persecution of their homeland and spread. Well, long before 70 AD, these practices that we can trace from the West Coast of Africa to the Americas, those practices were already active in West Africa for millennia. For or I mean, for as lo- as long as history can, re- can 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 see it. I mean, it, like I use a good one. You hear the song "Kumbaya," right? And I ask you, when you meet a Gullah Geechee person, ask them say, ask him to say. I'm about to say, ask him say, ask him to say, "Kumbaya," "Kumbaya," and he'll say "Kumbaya." Now, what does kumbaya mean? It means kumbaya. Ya is in a kind god. It's a female god of fertility. Pretty much it's the goddess of the earth. You know what I'm saying? You don't have a temple for her. They don't have a temple for her. So when you make offerings to her, you do it outside. So they would see these people out in the fields singing kumbaya. They went back and found the song. Gullah Geechee people have story, bedtime songs that don't make no sense. When they took them to Sierra Leone and had them talk to them people, they started singing this song and the people told them what the song meant. They didn't even know. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They didn't even know what they were singing. We just like, my mama taught me this stuff. You know what I'm saying? These people taught them that. They showed how they was making baskets out of weave. And they was doing it the same way the people in West Africa in Sierra Leone in Liberia was doing it. They had been doing it. Had been doing it for centuries. So, like, this stuff is sort of known, you know what I'm saying? But those, I mean, I have to say it raw. Most of them are not read enough in that history, you know. And it's harder when somebody, it's the first thing they come at you with. You know what I'm saying? So the first time you start to get interested in who I am, where I'm from, where are my people from, and you hear that, and then it, it connects sort of because you come out to church. So the, you you do recognize the Bible, you know? You know, your grandmama go to church. You know you know what I'm saying? So you recognize that type of stuff. So it's like, um, you know, it's easy to connect with them. And so... In dealing with them, sometimes we have to, you know what I'm saying, do an education process. But the world, your ancestors know who you are, the world know who you are. It ain't shit you can do to get around that. You know what I'm saying? And the thing that we need to be focused on, and we can begin wrapping it up, Aki, what we got to be focused on is not the past. Yeah. And I hate to put it so bluntly like that, but and I'm saying this as somebody who... My religious orientation is Christian. Yeah. You know, I agree that we should, like we've been saying, we need to read ourselves into the Bible if we're going to use it at all. Yeah. And I see it as a, you know, I've already spoken to its positive utility. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But we can't be stuck in the past. We have to be focused on what we have to create to confront this certain type of uh, oppression and system we face that is born in modernity. It's not, it's not born in pre-modernity, what yeah. we're facing. We're, we as a people, our, our, who we are, our national culture, our national existence was born in modernity. Yeah. With, with, and, and that's speaking to the uh, emergence of capitalism as a system of, of global trade, of mm. globalism, yeah. in, which was fed with uh, our labor. Yeah. And, the, and, and the profits made off of our labor. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So we as a people, of course, we find ourselves in... We want to read ourselves into a pivotal position yeah. on in world affairs. Yeah. Because we fucking played one. Yeah. And we're fucking playing one. We in the belly of the beast here. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's real. You know what I'm saying? But, uh... But yeah, Key, you know what I'm saying? Like, we can't... We have to be focused on what we have to create now to confront I mean, confront this shit. You know what I'm saying? And it, it's going to be uh, a nation that's not... It, it, it's not going to be about religious uniformity and need to be on God's doctrine. And that's, Even though that, that might be part of, you know what I'm saying, 
uh, some some people's backdrop and how they're approaching the need for mm-hmm. us really to have a national culture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it, our national culture doesn't need to be about religious uniformity to be effective. I say I say we go back to the same concepts that our ancestors have and use to this day. And that's real simple. We are a new African people. That means we claim that we are a people of uh, ethnicity. Not only are we an ethnicity of people, but we are also a nation of people. That being the case, right, the same way the Akan are the Akan, and they have the Akwamu, they have the Ga, and they have various other branches there. Shanti is a branch within the Akwamu. We can have a new African nation with many different clans within it. If you want to be under the Nation of Islam clan, you in the Nation of Islam clan, y'all do your thing. But we are one nation of people. And even in that Akan system, they may be from different sub-clans within the Akan group or blood circle, but they have common things that is general to all Akan, that they all do. National celebrations, competitions, whatever they do, they have certain aspects of their culture that they all do together. We as a people here brought those same type of aspects that is an African thing to America, and we did the same thing. We just got to get back to those things. You know what I'm saying? Um, Tribe up. But understand, this is about liberation. The question is this. Would you, as a Hebrew Israelite, be rather be next to that white man? Or would you rather be next to me as a Nation of Islam member? Or me as a Hoodoo practitioner? Or as me as an Aboriginal? Or me as a black Christian? Yeah. Would you want to be sitting next uh, to me? Right. You know what I'm uh, saying? Uh, can, we, can we come to an idea of what type of communities we would like for our children and what type of education we would want for our children? And we say we want them to be able to eat healthy foods and we say we want them to be able to learn about themselves and be in an environment where they're not targeted and things of that such nature. Well, guess what? It's, it, since day one of all of these groups being here in America, we've always seen each other still as one. They still live amongst us. We still live amongst you. You know what I'm saying? If you're a Hebrew and you go to school with me, I know you're a Hebrew. He don't do that. I'm not going to see him on Friday. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we Just got to come together. We got to get, you know. That's a, big ta- that's a big task to say that. You're right. No, you're exactly right, Aki. And uh, uh, it's about national unity. Yeah. And, that's, you know, leveraging our national culture. It, it's demonstrable that Hebrew-Israelite ideology is not going to be the centerpiece of our yeah. national culture. Yeah. Or our, or a nation. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But I, I, I love what you said, though, about it being recognized, you know what I'm saying, in a yeah. different way. Like, but... I, I, so, my, yeah, I guess that just goes back to my thing. This is not about... It, it can't be about religious uniformity. Yeah. It, it, the civil rights and black power movements did not fail yeah. because they lacked the Hebrew-Israelite definition of being in accordance with, with God's yeah. will. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we just got to protect ourselves from that. It's about black agency. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Black man got the right to do... He has the right to assert for himself and create his own destiny. As long as that destiny is in conjunction with his people's common destiny. Mm-hmm. If he wants to be a Hebrew Israelite, be a Hebrew Israelite and be a mighty Hebrew Israelite warrior and, and fight against the enemy. But don't forget, your because half of them come from families and their cousins ain't Hebrew Israelites. Mm-hmm. They in the church. You ain't going to cast them out. So, you know, we just got to, you know, it's a topic people wanted us to talk on, you know, as I said, I I, I like to I like I've been I like what I've been seeing them do with brothers, the work they've been doing with black men out here. Um, these, these brothers are getting brothers off the street. Um, they opening up halfway houses and stuff like that. They do work, you know what I'm saying? It's more than them just being on the corner and preaching. I may disagree with their ideology, but I do see them out here trying to save our people in these streets. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I ain't gonna lie. I tell them to keep on doing what they do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep on doing what I do. And one day we may be able to come down and, and form this new African coalition or whatever. Because it may not even be called new African. You know what I'm saying? 
we may come up, it, it, but once the time comes and we all come to a table and we're able to say, you know what, this shit needs to be done, we may come up with something completely different, a whole nother name. Mm. But, you know what I'm saying, for right now, we're using New Africa. Right. And that, and we're going to speak life into that. That is what's going to happen. Mm. New African is a temporary term. <laughs> and I embrace it fully because yeah. of its political utility right now. Yeah. Knowing that one day I can't wait to get rid of it, Aki. Yeah. (laughs) When it's permanent, you know what I'm saying? Because the reality is is this. New African comes out of the Republic of New Africa, but it's a provisional government. Right. Right. That means temporary. Just like when Marcus Garvey started the UNIA, they were the provisional. We're going to call our country something, you know what I'm saying, once it's really created, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, we're going to call it something that really means something to us. Yeah. And I guess there's a slight chance that it could be New African. Yeah. But... That's going to be a decision based upon our national... Yeah, that's a collective thing. A a democratic thing in terms of us as a national people. There you go. As opposed to just a provisional government. You know know what I'm saying? And that's the organization we have to do in all all these communities. Yeah. To bring them under a national umbrella. There you go. You know what I'm saying? A national, institutional, autonomous umbrella that is fighting for our political, economic, cultural, social... Self-determination. Mm-hmm. Black power, if you will. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's that national umbrella that we have to create. You know what I'm saying? And uh, religious uniformity ain't going. Ain't yeah. enough for that. Malcolm already said it best. Leave your, leave your religion in the closet. There you go. Got to leave it in the closet. You know what I'm saying? We come in here, we talking about basic stuff. Food, shelter, and clothing. Love, peace, and happiness. Mm-hmm. Now bring all the positive things that your religion gives you and those regards... Bring, bring right on up in here. Bring all that. Bring all yeah. that to the table. I mean, to be honest with you, one of the biggest things that we've known to help in the black community is what we like to call um, mutual aid societies. We've been doing mutual aid societies since the day we got free and started organizing. The Panthers did mutual aid societies. The Republican New Africa even did mutual aid societies. The Garvey Movement did mutual aid societies. That's a Christian concept. But guess what? It also comes out of Africa, too. Because that's the way the villages used to function. The villages would come together and build the bride and the groom's new home. These are the things that we sort of got to get back. We got to get back to those um, village mindsets. But we also got to get into that national frame of mind, that nation frame of mind. It's nation time. You know what I'm saying? Um, we ain't, we not only, we not only a, 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 a people, we are a nation of people. And that's a big statement. You know what I'm saying? We are an ethnic group. We are like the Akan. We are like the Wolof. We are like the Yoruba. We are our own blood circle, but we are part of the African race. We are. We're, we are ethnic group in need of a nation. There you go. You know, and we have, but we have a national culture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But the nation is institutional. It's not doesn't exist in theory. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's built on institutions. The national culture is something that is, uh, you know, not as institutional. You know what I'm saying? It's just felt and it's shared. We know what that is. It's a sense of belonging. Right. Sense of oneness to each other. And shared traditions, shared or shared Mm, worldview. Shared history. And that's how we, that's what we have to leverage as we create the nation. So, with that being said, we're going to say, you know what I'm saying, we're going to put this new African shit to the top. Until it's time to let it drop. There we go. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, peace and love, everybody. Peace. Keep that fire burning. Free lamb.